Hola a todos, this is Chava Peribán and welcome to the second episode of Heritage Agave. I think that today might be one of the most important episodes that I've ever recorded because it is rarely the occasion where somebody is able to explain something in a very precise way that justifies a lot of the things that I've been telling to people. And I think a lot of you guys, just as me, if you're truly in love with agave spirits, you've been shouting to third parties, saying, maybe not shouting, but you've been telling them with a strong accent, agave spirits are the most complex spirits in the world because they are handmade, because they're respecting the traditions that were built over centuries, because these are recipes that are transferred from one person to the other uh, with a lot of mystery around it, and because this is a plant that takes a long time to grow and therefore should be extracting a lot of information out of the land. And this is all great and grand, but I, I, I struggle because I didn't have a lot of the scientific background to justify a few of these things. Maybe in fermentation I did, just like we explored during the first episode, but in terms of the agricultural side of agave, I was still a little bit hesitant to really say that agave is just better than anything else. And I think this is when Fabio's help became critical, because after researching agave and its potential to be used as biofuel for a long time, I think he has gotten to understand agave at a very intimate level. He has gotten to understand its complexity, even if he's sort of actually fighting that, and we'll get to that later. But he said a few of the most significant sentences that I've heard in this industry in a long time. So without further ado, let's dive in and let's take advantage of his amazing, amazing wealth of knowledge. Vamos. Today we'll be delving into the metabolism and genetics of agave. And to do this, we have the help, the aid, the generosity of Fabio Raya, who's joining us all the way from Brazil. Thank you very much, Fabio, for making the time. Hey, Chava. I don't. I'm very excited, man. Like I've been wanting to have this conversation with someone that really knows things for a long time. Because well, I'm not your guy. Oh, come on. You are. You you were the first person to send us a chart where this question was mapped. So okay, I'll I'll get right to the chase. So in Agave Spirits, because you know, it's sort of a, it started happening really in the 2010s. It was starting to have a moment. Uh, there was this thing when we started making univarietal spirits where suddenly a way to gauge value of how special this mezcal was, was related to how long does it take for this agave to grow, right? So an espadín, which is an angustifolia that can maybe take seven years to grow, was, is considered today, which still blows my mind, it takes seven years to grow. And it's considered to be like the cheap thing, right? So like, oh, whatever, it's just seven years. And then a marmorata that maybe takes 15 to 20 years is like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the cool stuff. That's the special stuff. But in my mind, it's like, okay, there's clearly a uh, more valuable because of more time. But what happens during that time? Is it a more tasty plant? Is it a better plant? What is the effect of age? And then... On top of that, we have this whole thing of only, or, or this idea of a good mezcal is only done with ripe agave, right? And I guess the natural question is like, which is really the difference between an agave, say an angustifolia, 
if you harvest a five-year-old angustifolia and a seven-year-old, which is what, which are the practical differences amongst them that a seven-year-old is going to make a very superior mezcal or not? Or, or what happens in that plan? So I, I, I'm throwing a bunch of stuff to you, Fabio, I hope. I hope this is not overwhelming. I know it is, but I just hope <laughs> it's not. <laughs> okay, so here we go. So the first thing that we need to know is that the agave plants doesn't accumulate like sucrose or starch, like sugarcane or corn. They accumulate these polymers called fructans. So we know for a fact that the fructans change over the life cycle of the plant. So you can imagine that at the initial part, you're going to have a small fructan, and over the years, this fructan begins to branch. So by the end of the life cycle of the agave, you're going to have like this huge molecule. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to notice a difference between, I, I don't know, a five-year-old spadini or a 10-year-old spadini or something, it will depend on your processing. Because if you're going to use a highly industrialized process, like with a diffuser, and use superior acid to hydrolyze everything, at the end, you're going to have just the monomers, just fructose at the end. But if you do like in a traditional way that is not perfect and the conversion is not exactly the same, is not 100% or close to that, you're going to have different types of molecules for the yeast to ferment it. So if the yeast consumes like a, a different carbohydrate, it will produce a different flavor. Just like you do it on, mm. on brewing process for beer, you know? You are blowing my freaking mind. Like, why is that not something that everybody says? I don't know. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You're the first person to spell this. And, and it's like, it's the basis. It's one of the basis why an artisanal spirit, it's so crazy more complex. Because what you're telling me too is if you only have one style of sugar, then probably you're not going to even have a crazy this like variety of different yeasts and different microbial and different bacteria interacting with that. Maybe there's going to go, there's going to be one colony of yeast that it's going to be better adapted to this very simple type of sugar and that's it. If you have all these little mutants or all these imperfect uh sisters and brothers, then the same happens with the whole microbial uh, party that is going to happen upon them, and you're going to have flavors that are way more complex. Like, Jesus, it's, it's like almost a difference between having a perfect uh, piece of glass on your window and having a mosaic, you know, like stained glass in the church. Yeah, this is the difference between having ethanol, pure ethanol as a fuel, and have a delicious spirit at the end, you know? Fabio... Like, honestly, I'm almost tempted at finishing this episode right here, right now, just so that people put this on repeat and, and, and just like, and we're not even half into the question. You're, you're not even half into the answer and you already blew my mind. Shit. Okay. So, so that's one part of it. So the longer the agave grows, the more complex this branching happens, the more possibilities there are to have complexity, basically. Yeah, that's true. Exactly that. And we don't actually know the difference between, for instance, these polymers from one Spadin to uh, Manmorata to Amapsaga. So in, in a broader context, if you use a different cultivar, you're probably going to have a different type of branching there. 
and it's going to give you more complexity. But we don't really have proof of it, of this, you know, because as we already said that Agave is a huge genus. We got more than 300 cultivars, you know, and each cultivar will behave different to each environment. And the plant itself can produce different compounds, different sugars there that are not related to these fructans. They can give other flavors, you know? Oh, man. Jesus. Okay. So, and, okay, so, I don't even, like, I, I think I am in shock. I'm a little bit paralyzed. So, that doesn't only explain age, but, so say, I guess what you're, tr like, and I'm going to repeat this so you can tell me if I'm terribly wrong, but I guess that the reason why people could argue objectively that a 20-year-old Marmorata may provide more complex flavors than a 7-year-old Espadin is because the, the mosaic of sugars within something that has spent 20 years evolving these crazy structures of sugars, it is more elaborate that's something that took seven years. Yeah, that that can be true. Jesus Christ. Okay, so so this is so this way of assessing value is actually objective. Yeah, for sure. And I, if you have uh, another interesting process in, in these agave plants, you're gonna lose all the flavors, right? Because yeah. you're gonna have a high conversion, and in the end, you're gonna get got some just the simple molecules that they is gonna be able to assimilate really well and produce one type of alcohol. Well, it is it is like taking the most extravagant, beautiful wood, making sawdust out of that, and doing a, a agglomerate and making a key a piece of furniture. Instead of taking that beautiful wood, respecting it, you know, like going down the grain, respecting its thickness, and and making a masterpiece of wood. So basically, the, the crime that happens within the diffuser is that you're taking all this complexity and, and making a Kia furniture out of it. Yeah, not, not exactly the diffuser, because the diffuser is only extracting more efficient the, the sugars from the plants, you know? You're just going to be able to, to have more sugars per liter or something. But Maybe is the difference is in the cooking process because larger industry use this hydrolysis as we call it from acid and yeah. a little bit of temperature and this is high yielding hydrolysis. If you're gonna put the plants, I don't know, if you cook the plants first in a brick oven or something and put it on a diffuser, you're good to go. You know. Okay. No. And and I like that. And maybe, you know, like you could do mixes, right? Where you can do a part, which is sort of your complexity. So you cook it in a brick oven. And then because maybe you're doing millions and millions of liters, then you have a significant part being in a high yielding diffuser. So you have like your special sauce and then you have sort of your bland white space, which I think could be an interesting approach. Okay. So I think the other thing that, 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 that touches me. So complexity does expands with age. My other thing was, and I think I saw this on your on your chart. How like is it a uh, regular accumulation of sugars? Say the agave is slowly adding sugars in a very stable rate from year one to year seven, or does it have moments where it gets more efficient into collecting more sugars? Is there a period of its life, like let's say, you know, if I don't care about much about flavor, but I care about efficiency, 
is it better to harvest it at year five instead of year seven because I'm getting the most of the possible sugars that that agave may have? So this is a very complex question, you know. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and the first thing that I'd like to say is that it depends on the climate. If you got much more water available, the plants are going to grow faster and they're going to produce more carbohydrates, more sugars. If you got extended periods of drought, the plants will behave differently, you know? Mm. So the first thing is that it depends highly on the climate conditions. And the second part is, I think you're correct. Even for our ethanol production system that we are designing, we wanted to harvest the plants with three years or sooner. And you just need to put more plants per hectare or something like that to compensate, you know? And mm -hmm. we, in agave, we know that the agave plants have a growth cycle that's a bit odd. In the first three years, the plants is just establishing the, themselves on the fields and preparing them for the harsh conditions that they will face their whole life. And after this, the plants start to grow in a exponential rate. So the, for instance, particularly we know this, for sure that the plants enters this exponential phase without any limitations for water or something like that from the third year forward and it stopped growing about the nine year. Okay. So in at the nine year, it just starts to stabilize themselves. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. No, I mean, that's, that's fascinating. So I think that, I mean, I, I agree with the rationale of the plant. You know, the first three years, you're like, am I in good land? Does it matter? I'm gonna, uh, am I going to be killed? Like, you know, you're testing, you're testing the ground and the water. And then when you realize that you were able to be there happily for three years, then you really invest, right? You really start like uh, fattening yourself. So, okay, cool. And, but you say that you wanted to do it in three years. That is your objective. Yeah, uh, that's the goal here at our breeding program is try to to find faster growing agaves. So you're gonna trick them for them to know to be sure that they're gonna have a pampered life in year one, so that at year two they they're gonna be expunged exponentially creating sugars. That I, I guess that's sort of your, your your creative approach. Yeah, that's our goal here. We're gonna try to do this from different pathways, testing new molecules on the plants to try to trick the plants because their agave defenses are too strong and they don't need to be that fast to, to be growing on the field that we are going to tender them and nourish them uh, and even try to select with your gene collection which plants have the best capacity to grow faster at this moment. In the okay. end, we want to produce something that is more looks like more like a sugar cane for our instance. That's crazy. So I'm going to, I don't know if we have enough time for me to explain this completely, but, uh, you know, both Lou and I are obsessed with this book called Eating to Extinction, uh, made by Dan Saladino. It's a beautiful book. Uh, but what you're describing to me, it's sort of a parallel to the story of Salmon. So do, do you know, well, uh, I'll send you the article and I think it'll be, uh, well, I'll send you the, the chapter of that book. And uh, I think it'll be really interesting to make a upcoming episode, maybe later on, in comparing what you guys are trying to do with uh, with the story of Salmon. And because I have a few questions of how that can uh, be a problem. Basically, the story with the Salmon is it got to a point where some Salmons that were too pampered escaped 
from the farms and they started breeding with some of the tough salmon that was going to Alaska. And the question there is if these weak salmons were not going to pollute the gene pool of the, of the tougher ones. And maybe one day you wouldn't have wild salmon anymore because they wouldn't be able to survive that trip. Well, that's an awesome question. And the first thing is that we need to put it in perspective. For starters, we don't have any native avid here in Brazil. So that's not a concern for us. <laughs> but definitely, if we're going to put this inside Mexico, probably going to be uh, something to, to be concerned about it. But as I already said, that, that plants and people have been interacting for a very long time. And I personally believe that there's almost any agave plants that are truly wild in Mexico, you know? People have been interacting with these plants for too long and selecting them and modifying there. So I, I won't be that concerned about this specific issue. The problem will be something more like if you think in a monoculture cycle and you're going to introduce a large amount of those plants inside a region that can be affected. If you do it responsibly with some genetic variation on the pole, you don't have much to, to be concerned about it. Well, you, you've uh, you've rested my doubts for you. So <laughs> thank you very much for that. Awesome. So so I, I'm really grateful uh, for having you here, Fabio, and I'll see you pretty soon. Okay, thanks, Chava. See you. See ya. Adiosito. Jesus Christ. Fabio, it was such a profound pleasure to have you with us today. We are sure that we'll record a few more episodes with Fabio, because we didn't talk about his specific areas of research, and we didn't even introduce him properly. He just got his PhD. Congratulations! This was Heritage Mezcal, the podcast that tries to make sure that you remember that more complex sugars make preacher spirits. All sounds and music are created by Roy Sierra. Thanks for coming by. Nos vemos prontito.